Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Samar. We're both here in the studio and yesterday was Press Freedom Day, World Press Freedom Day. We're going to be speaking to um, a special guest later in our program, right after this short music break, about press freedom in uh, Palestine and how Israel is cracking down and eliminating the press especially ones that are reporting about the occupation. That and more when we come back. This is True Talk on WMNF. Don't change your dial. We're going to be right back. Enjoy this uh, music break. على بلدي لتشوف كيف البحر بيضحك لا تشم تراب بلادي وترسم حجار ومجدك ميل على بلدي لتشوف كيف البحر بيضحك لا تشم تراب بلادي وترسم حجار ومجدك ميل على شاطي حيف خدلك من رمل وتذكار صورة بشوارع يافة وعلى صورة العكة مشوار ميل القدس شوارع وسماها أجمل مكان ميل عنه وسال عنه إحنا للكرم عنوان وإذا بدك تتأني الناصر بتبعت سلام قاعد بتحلق ميك قلب وجودك حلو الكلام ميل على وادي عار ركوة القهوي عنا شرفنا حارة حارة قلوبنا لعيونك ضار ميل على وادي عار وركوة ولا حتى جبالك والورد عصفيرك بتغني يا بليل ليل 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 دلعونا بلادي غنيت وعلمي جانا ربيت وداحي تغازل بالدبك وعتاك لحكا يا ستي حنيت ولمتنا بساحة البيت ورغيف الزيت وزعت شجر الزيتون أغلى من بلادي ملئي شعر وأدب وعلم وفن وأحلى الألحان 
Talk on WMNF 88.5 FM with Ahmed and Summer. Summer, what is the song? Um, Pass by my country. By, uh, oh, Mayil is Pass by? Not Mayil. lean? Uh, in the Palestinian dialect, Mayil, يعني Pass by. Oh. Because you're going, let's say you're you're going swing by, swing by Alekinur. Now that you're, uh, I have to tell our listeners first of all, we are both in the studio, and Ahmed is managing the um, technical side. So any mistakes, uh, it's his fault. Not thank me. you for that disclaimer. Yeah, because I remember last time I think you messed up big time. But um, what did I do? Uh, either. Uh, press uh, off on my mic or play music when you're not supposed to play music or not play music when you're supposed to play music. But anyway, it's good to see you, Ahmed. Uh, Ramadan Kareem, we have not seen each other for at least a month because of Ramadan. I was beginning to think it's a conspiracy. People are trying to keep us apart. and no. um, But we're back and united. A united front at WMNF Studios hosting True Talk, um, something we've been doing now for, I don't know, I don't even want to say. Um, I thought it was 15 years, but it may be 20, even though I feel like I'm 20-something years old. Mm-hmm. Me too. But <laughs> it's like one of the longest relationships I've had. Me or uh, yeah, both you, of us? Yeah, like both of us, <laughs> this kind of, you know, working relationship. This is funny. This is yeah. just so long. I know. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I used to bring uh, my mom. I was just yes, on it was, FaceTime with her. And I told her, remember when you used to wake up early in the morning, drive with me, uh, and um, we you would be walking and talking to the lovely people here. She remembers a lot, uh, Miss Julie. And she said, those were beautiful days. Those were nice days. So I, she remembers Miss Julie a lot because Miss Julie was is in the front desk. Yeah, and I think she used reception. to give her uh, and she some, just <laughs> some uh, uh, what they call it treats. Uh, uh, treats. Oh, <laughs> and uh, you know she would, and I used to bring my nephew and Julie would uh, uh, give him also treats and um, uh, to keep him entertained. So it's been like Hashem. He was seven years old when I used to bring him. Now he's now twenty four. Wow, and things time flies, things change, and it's just so interesting. But today, uh, I'm not. We're, today, we're going to be talking, Ahmed, with uh, Saud Khalaf, who is Iraqi and British, 
filmmaker and writer. He, um, he, I saw him several times uh, on uh, Twitter, uh, really posting about very, very different, diverse uh, issues. For instance, he wrote this uh, article, very, very nice, called Remember the Fallen and Forgotten on World Press Freedom Day. But he also, for instance, created a documentary on the massacre of Sabra and Shatila. It's called Memories of a Massacre, Sabra and Shatila, 40 Years On. And he did a very interesting short a documentary about 17 minutes called Suraya's story. It's about the Palestinian in Shatila camp. I really want to ask him why he keeps visiting Shatila camp. How did he come to know about it? Because I'm sure he was a baby uh, if he was ever born by that time, uh, a massacre that happened 40 years ago. I, mean, I don't think he was born by then. And also he writes, for instance, about environmental things and something that I am interested in, which is the marshes uh, in Iraq. So he should be a very interesting personality to talk to. Is he um, uh, here? Uh, yes, uh, he's just joining us. Uh, welcome to the program. Oh, Mm. Uh, oh, first mistake, one. Summer. Summer, <laughs> first Saud, mistake. Are you, I'm, I'm, Saud, are you there? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you loud and clear. And uh, any mistakes, uh, it's my co-host. Yeah. I'm very technologically advanced, but my co-host is a guy. And Thank anyways, you. Uh, Saud, uh, good to have you on uh, True Talk. As I was mentioning, I am following you, uh, even if I just started following you on Twitter yesterday, but I do pay attention to what you do. So can you, we start, Saud, by giving our listeners a little background about you? Um, first and foremost, um, I'm very, very grateful and uh, privileged to be here. And thank you for the amazing introduction. You know, I... Um, was listening to it and it makes it sound way more interesting and <laughs> um, way more interesting than everything is. So I'm, I'm very, very grateful to be here and to, to, to speak to you both. Um, Alhamdulillah for the opportunity and thank you so much for reaching out and, and inviting me to be on your uh, wonderful show and Alhamdulillah for the opportunities to speak on, on, on said topics um, that we, you know, find very, very deep and, and close and, and dear to our hearts. So, um, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm thank you, so I just wanted to yeah. clarify to our listeners that he, when you say Alhamdulillah, you're thanking God. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I should, I should clarify that too. Because <laughs> they're like, yes. what's he saying? He keeps saying <laughs> Alhamdulillah, code, Alhamdulillah. Code, code words. <laughs> code words. <laughs> Uh, Apologies. Go, yeah, so uh, we're a very serious show uh, and uh, very serious topic. But Ahmed fun. and I <laughs> like sure, to, I could, <laughs> to tease you know, each other. I could, I could hear, it, I can hear it. Um, okay, so tell yeah, us a little bit about your background, and we are honored too to have you. I also like his British accent. Yeah, it's so it? interesting, and his voice is deep. He should be doing. I had to show. turn down the audio on the voice because it sounds so like booming. Is oh, it? should I? I mean, the, I've, I've got some headphones. I can pull the microphone. No, no, no. Your no, voice no, is great. Perfect. No, no, no. I'm just saying usually other... Uh, it's a very radio material. Yeah, other uh, guests, we have to really turn it up high to amplify their voice. But, you know, it seems like you're a natural. I mean, if you do find that you need uh, a third co-host moving forward, you okay. know, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to delve into the radio <laughs> okay. game if possible. Oh, at some okay. Point. That so sounds very good. You just good. need to let me know. Okay. Ahmed, be warned. 
Uh, he said a third, not yeah, a replacement. I mean, he's a guy. We oh, yes. can't have. Uh, I don't do... want to take anyone's job, please. No, yeah, no, no. See? It's not a job, by the way. <laughs> We're unpaid. Summer is just trying to get rid of me. I've been working for 19 years without being paid. Uh, but I guess this is what happens when you are passionate about the things you believe in, which we believe in justice and freedom of speech. And Absolutely. I want to talk about this, your wonderful piece. But before that, I really want people to know a little bit who is uh, Saud Khalaf. Um, yeah, who is Saud Khalaf? Um, that's a it's a good question. I'll try and I'll try and break it down for the um, the audience and the viewers. And um, yes, as you can hear from the British accent, I am British, and I was born and raised in um, London uh, in 1995. So actually, quite uh, a while after the Sabra and Shatila massacre did happen. And um, I am a filmmaker and. More recently, a writer. Actually, this has only been a, a development in the past year or so. Um, my career originally stemmed from a place of um, being quite heavily involved in the music and film industries in the UK after graduating from film school. And it has been uh, a long time that I've been involved in those careers and working with a lot of corporate record labels. And it's a thing where over the past year, I, I, I mean, you know, these uh, social justice causes and um, projects in terms of helping marginalized groups have always kind of been at the core of who I felt I am as a human being, ever from when I was quite young, you know, being eight years old and witnessing one of the biggest mass mobilizations on earth with everyone protesting the invasion of my home country, Iraq. So being a child and, and seeing this kind of, you know, an uprising to, to, to stop injustices, it, it struck a chord within me. So I've had like a, a political essence from when I was quite young and it's, it's connected to my kind of family's histories and, and backgrounds and migration from Iraq to get to the UK. So it has always somewhat manifested through my work, but what has happened is, you know, I went to film school and I began doing work in the music industry because these were the kind of places I was involved in from quite a young age. And I wasn't able to fully, fully take what I felt was my essence and what I felt was important to me and um, really delve into it until probably like the last two years or so. And I've been, um, I've had somewhat more, I think, of uh, a bit of spiritual guidance and I've been provided with opportunities to, you know, visit these sorts of places. You know, we went to the um, Shatila refugee camp. For those who don't know, the Shatila refugee camp is a... Palestinian refugee camp in Beirut, Lebanon, and it was established in 1949 after the um, the the Nakba, which is known as the catastrophe of 1948, when the um, the Israeli forces expelled 750,000 Palestinians from their homeland, many of them never to return. So the Shatila refugee camp was established in Beirut in 1949 to home some of these refugees, not many, and. Since, you know, the, the beginning of the Syrian civil war in 2011, it has seen uh, a massive influx of Syrian refugees, actually. So it's now somewhat Syrian and the Palestinian refugee camp, you know. Mm -hmm. This is a, a place of about one square kilometer that hosts between maybe 20 and 25,000 people. So as you can imagine, this is supremely densely populated. And um, yeah, the, the significance of the camp in terms of uh, in the wider scheme of things in the Palestinian cause, which uh, Samar touched on earlier on, was in um, September 1982, the, um, the 
occupying Israeli forces who were occupying Beirut at the time worked in conjunction with the uh, the Falangists, who were a supremely right-wing Lebanese party, to basically what they did was they uh, it was in September 1982 and they surrounded the Shatila refugee camp and the neighboring area of Sabra blocking all exits and allowing no entry in or out and it was uh, a concerted campaign of uh, it, it dep- I mean am I allowed to go graphic into this I don't really want to say too much on we, radio we can talk about it once I play uh, segments of your uh, yeah. documentary but okay. uh, I want just to mention that there were, there were also Lebanese people poor people yes. living with the Palestinians so it wasn't there were some uh, Lebanese and many of them were uh, killed when uh, the Israeli forces uh, put actually floodlights so the phalangists Uh, who happened to be, like you said, a very racist, and I hate to say this, but they were identifying themselves as Christian uh, mercenaries or uh, freedom fighters or whatever you want to call them. And they butchered and raped and did horrific things, but maybe we can talk about it uh, once we uh, get to the documentary. But I wanted, sure. I, I think I know the answer, but because of the people listening might wonder why an Iraqi British might be so passionate about the Palestinian cause. What is it exactly? What drives you to dig into these stories? And especially, of course, the article that I'm going to allude to in a minute. So why would Iraqi be interested, Iraqi born in in uh, Britain be interested in the Palestinian cause? I think for us, you know, growing up as as me, me personally, growing up as an, as an Arab and uh, me being a Muslim, I think, you know, these are stories that we've always witnessed throughout our lifetimes, you know, having, with the seed having been planted coming up to 75 years ago, which is crazy. And actually, not even 75 years ago, you know, even many, many decades before that, this has, you know, the, the occupation of Palestine has um, uh, has been something that's always very, very important for us as Arabs and Muslims, I think. And, and for me, even more so than that, not just being a, a, a thing to do with Arabs and Muslims, it is, I don't understand how, humanity we can witness the mass suffering of our brothers and sisters in humanity and just be accepting and understanding that you know this is a complicated issue there's uh there, there there's it's, it's it's something that we can't delve into it's something that you know has no has has no solution i think it's very very black and white to understand that you know apartheid is apartheid And this has been labeled and stated by many, many well-respected human rights groups. And I think for me, just growing up is something that when you see these images, and nowadays you see these images, you know, uh, tenfold because of the rise and the power of social media in a way that Mm -hmm. it wasn't like this before. So even back then to be able to witness these things from a young age, I think you just understand, you come to the stage where you understand that this could have been me that was born in this situation. You know, and for me personally, these are people that look like me. They speak like me. They think like me. What has stopped me from being born and raised in such a scenario? And it makes me think, how can we not use the opportunities that we have? You know, um, being in, in, in this country, 
with uh, you know a level of freedom of speech. I'm not going to say complete freedom of speech because we know we know that's not the case. With a level of freedom of speech and the access we have to you know online social media and platforms and and things like these, how can we not utilize that in the most effective way possible to support other human beings around Earth who are suffering under situations that they have no power to change? And I don't really like using the terms voice of the voiceless because this is a concept that, you know, people tend to apply and, and, and attach these sort of situations. I don't think that's the case. I don't think people are voiceless, you know. I think there, there, there are media biases and, you know, many people are silenced, but people do have voices. And I think it is just up to us to be able to Amplify try and support them. people. Exactly. And Amplify the voices of because people can speak people are not, you know it's 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 it's, it's we're, we're not saviors we are here just we we are just vessels in, in 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 our own right to try and support these these groups so for me you know iraqi palestini it doesn't i don't see you know these 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 are just nationalist terms but yeah. it's 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 a thing where a human being is is another human being and a soul is a soul so i think i think that kind of that's that's what kind of stems the the activism I just want to remind our listeners that my co-host Ahmed Bidir and I are in the studio and if you have any comments, you can send them to dj at wmnf.org or you can call the station uh, 813-239-9663. I, I don't remember my husband's number, phone number, but I can remember <laughs> in a split second the station's number. Amazing. DJ at WMNF.org. And I know, Saud, that there are people listening online on Facebook and Twitter because I just got a message actually from a professor saying how happy she is to uh, be introduced to you because she did not uh, know about uh, your work and she's listening. I can't figure out where in cyberspace, but you alluded to this idea that now we have amazing uh, technology and the reporter is now the Gazan who is being bombed. But I, you mentioned, of course, uh, journalism, but really what attracted me, the very extensive piece that you wrote and it's titled Remember the Fallen and for forgotten on World Press Freedom Day. Yesterday yeah. was World Press Freedom Day or the day before. What is it and what, uh, and I know you talk about the Palestinian journalists who have been killed um, this year as well as uh, since 1948 or maybe uh, the statistics actually from 2000. So tell us what is uh, World Press Freedom Day how does that uh, translate to the Palestinian journalist or it does not include the Palestinian journalist? Uh, I'm, I, what, what, I, uh, what I've done in the uh, kind of like the last couple of months is when I've kind of uh, developed and my my writing skills and trying to expand in this space a little bit more because I, I, I find it, I don't want to claim that I'm a journalist straight away. It's, you know, <laughs> it's baby steps. And soon, hopefully, you know, we can uh, all uh, develop in the fields that we want to as much as possible. So uh, I think I've just developed in a writing space, probably from like around about mid to last, uh, mid last year, I kind of started writing articles and publishing them on the, the New Arab, which is a, an English language um, publication. And what I found was, I wanted to find key dates in the, how should I say it, in the political calendar and think how are these key dates relevant to actual things that are going on the ground now? And I remember just searching 
uh, a couple months back, you know, about important UN dates because these are dates that are kind of, you know, um, fairly well known. And I found out that the third um, of May was World Press Freedom Day. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. So I started to look into it and it was um, hosted by UN and UNESCO. And the um, the theme every single year, they have a, a, a different theme. And the theme this year was shaping a future of rights, freedom of expression as a drive off for all other human rights um, was the title. And I found it, you know, found it quite ironic because in my head, I'm contemplating how these topics of human rights and world press freedom, if they do, and do they apply to Palestinian journalists? And it mainly kind of triggered a thought process in my head because I know that in around a week or so um, will be the anniversary of the, um, you know, the, the loss of Shirin Abu Akla, who was a very, very well-renowned... I would say the assassination of assassination. Uh, Shireen Abu Akhla. Don't be hesitant about saying Sh that. Sure. I mean, this is these these. Uh, I appreciate the support and being able to use those terms, and I I, I would like to to give my support to using said term too. Let let, let us run with the assassination. The assassination, actually, of uh, Shireen Abu Akhla, um, is uh, going to be in about a week or so. May eleventh. May 11th, exactly. Yeah. And I found it interesting how it kind of coincided around about this date. And it's mm -hmm. funny how it ties in for me because I remember being in the Shatila refugee camp at the time that Shireen Arakla was killed. Wow. You know, I was actually in the, the refugee, I was in Beirut, actually. And we found out that this had happened and it was, you know, she, she was uh, a voice and a face of a generation. And... You know, many, many people grew with her and her work and her contributions to, you know, supporting the Palestinian cause. And it was something that came out of the blue when we were in, in, in Beirut. And I remember being in the camp. And um, it's interesting because we were walking around and this is the first time we'd actually entered Shatila for the first time. I went to Beirut for the purpose of some cultural and artistic and activism workshops and we were actually provided with the opportunity to go to the refugee camp and instantly I took up the opportunity so me and some friends went and we're walking around we're meeting people and the, there's a group of young children in a courtyard and they see us with our cameras around our, our shoulders and they kind of beckon us over to come and start filming with them and these kind of things are kind of I'm very very wary of how to approach all situations with a camera I don't I don't just like putting it out there and filming people because some people are not comfortable. So we kind of had to make sure with our chaperones and, you know, with community leaders, which kind of places we can film in, which kind of things we can be engaged with. So, you know, we, we, we had assurances and we're in this courtyard area where there's a, a lot of kids playing sports. And these young children, they kind of beckon us over to kind of like start filming some interviews with them. You know, so a young boy picks up a... Um, uh, a plastic bottle that was on the floor and uses it as a makeshift microphone. And they start asking each other questions, you know, and he, he points it to his friend. And the first question he asks is, uh, what's your favorite color? And the boy says blue. And then he turns to him and he says, okay, do you like toilet paper? <laughs> and his friend is like, yes. And then the third question he asks his friend was, you know, how many years has Israel been occupying Palestine? And, you know, these boys look about nine years old. And for me, I was just, I was taken aback 
because they were engaging in this conversation with such a level of maturity that I've not seen from young children. And it was really, really an eye-opening experience for me. And to bring the, the conversation full circle, we're now filming, you know, quite a political discussion between these, between these young kids. And bear in mind, this is just ahead of the um, anniversary of the Nakba, which is May 15th. So this was, you know, only a couple of days later. So we have one of these young boys telling us that they're going to be hosting a, a commemoration event for the Nakba. And then he passes it on to his friend and his friend takes the microphone and says, and here we are commemorating the martyrdom. And these are his words. We are commemorating the martyrdom of Shireen Abakla, who was just uh, assassinated. Wow. Um, we send our peace and blessings upon her. And this is a young, young child who's saying this. And for me, I'm just trying to digest all of this because this is something, you know, it's um, like the eloquence of these children and how they're speaking to each other on such emotionally charged topics. I'm just finding fascinating because, you know, in the UK, not to kind of throw shade on the place that I grew up in, but in the UK, when you're of this kind of age, these are not the topics that you'd expect young children to be kind of delving into and speaking about at all. Mm -hmm. You know, and I remember even being a kid at that age. And I, I mean, for me personally, maybe it was a little bit different because I'd witnessed what I'd witnessed in terms of the Iraq invasion, being of a similar age to what these young boys were. But generally, you know, these are not the kind of things you expect these uh, uh, children to be speaking about. So for me, when these children are going on monologues and having conversations about all these kind of things, it's, you know, it's a very fascinating and eye-opening experience. So that, I think, for me, made, um, you know, it kind of inspired me to put together this piece yesterday because... Mm. I remember actually being in a place around many, many Palestinians at the time that it actually happened. And you could see there was a collective mourning for this supremely important figure who was, you know, vital in uh, communicating and conveying and telling stories of an occupation to the world. And, you know, you could see that she was very, very, very important to them. So I think for me, that's what kind of inspired me to put together right. this piece in the way that I did it. So, yeah. Thank you. If you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF 88.5. Um, Summer and I are speaking to Saud Khalaf. He's a filmmaker, British filmmaker of Iraqi uh, heritage or origin. We're speaking to him about um, you know, several things, including an article that he recently published called Remember the Fallen and Forgotten on World Press Freedom Day, which was just published if, uh, on May 3rd, um, yesterday. And um, in it, there's a statistic in here that says 46 Palestinian journalists have been killed by Israel since 2000. And according that's according to the Palestinian Journalist Syndicate. And the syndicate also recorded between 500 and 700 attacks each year each year on Palestinian journalists. That's not just Palestinian journalists in the occupied territory, territories, but also includes um, Arab, um, I guess uh, this would be Palestinians that are inside Israel who would also be Israeli citizens. I think you've mentioned um, this uh, Bedouin um, yes. Israeli, which is an Arab who holds Israeli citizenship and there are some sort of citizen journalists that are also under attack. Uh, to, to the rest of the world, these figures, you know, would be shocking and people would be speaking out about the press freedom 
and lack of it in Israel. However, over and over, and especially even recently, if you saw the president of the European Union uh, commemorate the um, the founding of Israel and praising it as this uh, oasis of democracy and you know in the Middle East and desert, but democracies don't treat you know journalists like this. Uh, where is the disconnect between the reality on the ground that you've witnessed and what these uh, you know Western and world nations are saying about uh, Israel and their democracy? I mean, let it be totally understood that this is a you know this is a profession and a job role which is meant to be protected under humanitarian. I think it's international humanitarian law. You know, I think this is one of the groups. There are many groups that should be um, exempt from being targets uh, in areas of war and warfare. I believe journalists are one, children are another. I think healthcare workers and those in the healthcare profession are the same too. Um, also, civilians, <laughs> you know, yes, of, yeah, yeah, of, of course, of course, non-combatants. It, it yes. seems like all those people are fair game if uh, if they happen to be Arab or Palestinians and, and targets of uh, you know Israeli security forces. Yeah, I, th- I think you know we we've seen that the the, the journalist syndicate has reported that it's been uh, forty six, but really and truly, the number could be way greater, and that is down to i mean obviously this the statistics have been released but there 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 has been so many instances of these things over the years and it's not just palestinian journalists you know let us remember that there are there are other journalists and other activists who have traveled to Palestine and and stood for human rights and they have lost their lives too you know i think mainly if i think about the story of rachel cory i'm not sure if you're um uh, familiar with her yes of course we're familiar with her our listeners may not but she was an american that was yeah. killed there in uh protesting home demolitions in in by israel uh, forces uh, dem, demol, uh destroying palestinian homes and she was uh, standing in front Bulldozed. of a, a bulldozer yeah uh, made by Caterpillar, provided yes. to the Israelis, and, you know, she was crushed. Like, imagine, like, in a world where you stand in front of a machine like that, normally the driver or the operator would stop. Or if an, if this happened, uh, for instance, uh, in Iran to an American journalist, oh. it happened uh, where, uh, where did they, <laughs> and God knows where, uh, but unfortunately, uh, you know, Ahmed, I spoke to her parents one time on the show and I met them and it, the whole time I'm, uh, the, my heart was uh, broken looking at them and telling us how much they tried uh, to get the legal channels, whether in Israel or in the US or the State Department or the White House to bring justice, but never, but sorry to digress. Uh, this, this actually happened 20 years Years ago, in um, March 16, 2003, and her memory lives on. Young American woman, um, only 23, 23 years old. Right, she was born in 1979. Mm-hmm. Beautiful human being. All right, and she was just standing up for justice, but trying to protect a doctor's wife, uh, a doctor's home from being demolished, and she was wearing. Uh, orange vest and you know with, with a flag and they could see her but crushed her the way they for instance at the beginning when they assassinated Shirin Abu Akla 
they said it was crossfire. Then they said. Uh, I think first they blamed on the, the. They said the Palestinians, Palestinians did, did, it. did it. Then uh, crossfire. Uh, crossfire, and then well, okay, we shot her. Uh, yeah, but after all the footage, the journalists, you know, uh, newspapers, others, you know, because now of all the cameras and the mm-hmm. eyewitnesses, they couldn't deny it any further. But where's the accountability? Um, this is the, this is the this is the keyword. This is the keyword, and uh, you know there has there has been uh, a culture of impunity that has been uh, cultivated, and this mirrors very very much so. You know what happened in uh, in the uh, refugee camp of Shatila and area of Sabra in 1982. You know this culture of impunity that has um, uh, been developed in terms of with the you know with israeli forces no one was ever held to account for the you know the 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 brutal torture rape murder of mainly women and children of palestinians and lebanese residents 3500 i think was reported there's obviously different statistics bounced about between different places but i think 3500 was um a reliable figure from a few sources you know no one was was ever held to account for that and you'd think that you know 40 years on there would be somewhat more of an accountability with the way that press and media and uh, world systems have developed and you start to find that it's actually not the case and here we are still calling for the accountability for the killing of Sharina Waqla and and her niece Lena has been working tirelessly over the past year you know with uh, government figures in the US I think and uh, trying to bring about some sort of accountability and it just doesn't seem these these things just don't seem to be like it's yielding no results so I think it's interesting to understand where that kind of stems from and you know are things going to be different in the future is it going to be worse like who knows Well, it's, you know, you mentioned earlier this uh, Nekba, that's uh, the Nekba that's coming up. And the Nekba is an Arabic word for catastrophe. And it symbolizes, uh, refers to Israeli, uh, Israel's ethnic cleansing uh, of Palestinian uh, Palestinians and Palestine itself. This is what, you know, oftentimes that we hear that, uh, and this narrative that somehow there was no Palestinians. Even recently... Uh, what is her name? The president of the European um, Union um, that gave that speech. Um, Wait, I'm looking for is, it because is it Ursula something? Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and she mentioned that you know that they basically made the desert bloom as if as if there was no civilization, there was no people, it was just an empty place. Or if you have a desert, it's uh, something bad. Yeah, or, okay, that's another point, but there were people there. They made it sound like there was nothing there, and uh, Israel just showed up and then made the desert bloom. Uh, it, hello, it's, it's a been racist blooming. mentality. It's been blooming since Abraham and since Moses and uh, and, uh, uh, and and some, and Jesus. It, it, civilization is there, and most of those people are now Muslim. The idea that, you know, that white uh, Ashkenazis that came from Europe after they were persecuted in Europe uh, by Europeans, European Christians. And then, you know, they were uh, relocated or many of them uh, migrated to uh, Palestine. Palestine already existed, but we keep hearing this narrative that somehow 
Palestine and Palestinians never existed. So they don't even acknowledge that there was any catastrophe or any Nakba because there's no people there. Or whoever was there didn't belong there. But this is so, it's a rewriting of history. And that's why I appreciate filmmakers like you, uh, Saud, that are, are trying to correct or retell the true stories that have been, you know, um, I guess that people are trying uh, to make sure that others forget about. Thank you. Um, but it's becoming more and more challenged because whenever you tell these stories, I'm sure you get accused of somehow anti-Semitism or others. As yeah, Samar and I are constantly, whenever we bring up these topics, they say, like, how dare do you, how do you, how dare you talk about this or make these comparisons that this is because of racism? They always defend it by saying, oh, this is for safety. You know, how, how is it killing a journalist like Shireen Abu Akla, assassinating her, uh, keeping Israelis safe? Oh, uh, so you can answer that because you, you spoke to Adan, I think, El uh, Hajjuj. Yes. Can you tell us, uh, like, how did this uh, murder and assassination of Sharina, Shireen impacted young people who are aspiring to become journalists? I'm glad, Ahmed, you mentioned that. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is we're mentioning this idea that it was just a desert and, you know, it, it clearly wasn't just a desert and and this was um this ties in uh the main contributor for my article actually someone who i was very very privileged and excited to get the chance to speak to and her name is uh, adan al-hajuj and she's a, a a bedouin palestinian activist from al-naqab which is the um the southern desert region of uh palestine which has now been renamed um the negev and it actually you know encompasses more than half of the landmass of the entire country so you know this is not a small area and if we're talking about the idea of there was nothing there when i delved into uh i delved into my research some of the key findings that i had was that this was a um it was a historical very significant um base for many trade routes you know mm -hmm. and this was thousands of years ago and you know frankincense and and myrrh were key components um of this this trade route and lots of other goods and commodities you know including uh, gold and spices and uh, other important um items that, that that were important in trade were transported along this trade route from the uh, southern arabia to the mediterranean through these passages and this kind of directly contrasts the idea that there was nothing there if anything this was a very you know this was a very prestigious area and it was connecting you know very very key and uh, important empires in history <laughs> so it was very interesting to speak to adan who actually you know derives from the al-naqab area in um south Palestine, and um just understanding that in terms of in my own work a lot of the journalists that i've worked with and this is something that she highlighted much of the media coverage you see of Palestine, if it does make it past media censorship, if it does make it actually out into the mainstream, will be uh, focused on the reg uh, regions of uh, Gaza and Gaza and the West Bank. And that kind of is around about it. We don't tend to hear much about other areas. But for an area that encompasses over 50% of the landmass, there are definitely stories there to be told. Mm -hmm. And um, I spoke to her and she is, uh, I think she's 19 years old. And I had a conversation with her. And in her own words, when I asked her about the, um, 
the the effect that Shireen's killing had on the ongoing fight for justice, uh, I quote her in saying, Shireen Abu Akla, our martyr, may she rest in peace and liberation, has shown us what true strength and courage in journalism means. Her passing was a wake-up call for Palestinians, reminding us of the stifling of our voices. But her bravery did not lead us to surrender. Instead, it fueled our determination to shout even louder. Her martyrdom brought us unity, strength, and a renewed hope for being heard. It made us realize the extent of censorship and silencing, but it also revealed the unbreakable spirit of the Palestinian people. And um, I thought her words were, you know, uh, supremely mm-hmm. powerful and for someone of such a young age to, to be so eloquent as well it's an, an inspiring even for me to, to to hear that and read that from her so uh, yeah, uh, she had a she had, she had a lot yeah. to say on this topic amazing is she's planning to con- to continue into uh journalism i believe because uh, she was so so her story is interesting she was um she was raised in in Palestine in between two villages, you know, her mother's village and her father's village. And for her, the um, the the scenario that she witnessed growing up was her father's village was deemed by Israeli forces as uh, not Israeli forces by the government as being an unrecognized village. So in these scenarios, if a village is unrecognized, it's seen as basically like some sort of illegal settlement. And what that does is it denies the residents and the citizens from any sort of access to public infrastructure or, you know, public recourse for funds, uh, anything, you know. And this provides one with a very, very difficult opportunities in terms of just functioning as a normal human being, you know. So she was kind of living this this was the duality of her childhood she was living between these two places and this i think is what kind of spurred her in terms of understanding what needed to be changed and which stories needed to be told because the stories of the bedouin palestinians are ones that are not you know regularly uh, spoken on in the mainstream media so to her i think it was activism that has kind of grown into a sense of journalism and i Mm -hmm. think doing this piece with her i think she's done some video pieces um and she speaks uh, English, so it's uh, it, it's easier for her to reach, uh, I think, a larger audience. But uh, I read uh, in your article that electronically speaking, there is some sort of censorship. Can you allude to that? Uh, so because uh, we have like eight minutes to go and I really want Ahmed to play sure. a segment of your documentary. But uh, can you tell us like how uh, journalists can be silenced? Uh, like uh, Adan. So this this was something that Adan has faced. It's something that I've even faced in my own work and coming from a place where I have come from the music industry before my page was ever political. My, you know, my Instagram stories and my posts had a reach that I would dream of now. You know, there was no issue in me posting anything and I would reach numbers upon thousands of people. And at a time when I had, you know, maybe like 3,000 followers, if I was to post an Instagram story for being specific, I might see like a thousand people seeing my Instagram stories, which is about a third of all my followers, which is fantastic engagement. You know, my thing has grown since then to about, you know, five and a half thousand. And the majority of what I do now is political. It may not see more than, you know, 200, 300 people will, will, will see and be exposed to a lot of the work that I do through this process called shadow banning. And this is a process where, you know, these platforms, you know, mainly Meta, so Facebook and Instagram, 
they will find ways to de-emphasize your content so that it will not actually reach your intended target audience or wider communities online because it's not something they specifically politically agree with. And many people have spoken about this, even Bella Hadid, you know, and she has 50 million followers plus. And for her to witness that, you know, it means that there are so many thousands of us people who are pro-Palestine who are just seeing our accounts completely demolished in terms of the way that it has any sort of real access in reaching people online. And it's a very demoralizing experience, you know, because what it does is it makes you, it makes you not even want to be able to create these things anymore because you find that it makes you think, what's the point, you know? And then we have to, from my own personal perspective, I have to always bring it down to a, a place where I'm thinking in my own life from the, the from the perspective of a Muslim, you know, Allah or God is the sustainer and the provider, not Instagram, you know, and yeah. everything we do in our lives has to be, we have to have a clean intention behind it. And as much as we can, we have to keep going and fighting and pushing to tell these stories because this is the path less traveled and it will always be a path that silences us. And, you know, power Speaking to Aden, yeah. power to all We of have them. two emails, Ahmed, interesting emails, okay. if we oh. have time, that if you want to... Well, just speaking of stories, I'm just going to play this really short clip of uh, your documentary, uh, Memories of a Massacre, Sabra and Shatila, 40 years on. This is NBC Nightly News, reporting from New York, Jessica Savage. Good evening. A new word has been added to describe the devastation of West Beirut, massacre. Hundreds of men, women, and children were shot to death in West Beirut Palestinian refugee camps. A slaughter apparently by Lebanese Christian militiamen given control of those camps by the advancing Israeli army. Eyewitnesses called the scene horrifying. We must advise discretion in viewing. Let's talk about one of the bloodiest chapters of Palestinian history that took place 40 years ago today, the Sabra and Shatila massacre. هون كان في مجزرة صبرة شتيلة كان في ميتين بالجرافات كانوا شيلوا ميتين وحطون هون That part of the documentary is in Arabic and uh, it has subtitles, so the subtitles can't you know, be translated uh, for radio um, purposes. Ming in horror. Countless babies and toddlers who had been stabbed or ripped apart and who had been thrown into piles of garbage. The words you've just listened to were an eyewitness account from the American journalist Janet Lee Stevens. Those are uh, sounds of uh, crying and wailing. 
women who uh, ex- you know experienced uh, what happened there. Uh, where can people watch this uh, documentary? Or can you unmute? Saud Khalaf is the uh, director uh, who, or filmmaker who put that together. Where can people watch this uh, film? So this documentary is available on YouTube and the title of the documentary is uh, Memories of uh, uh, Massacre. Sabran Shatila, 40 years on. And this is available on my YouTube page. The only thing is on YouTube, it is age-restricted. So we have made an unage-restricted version available on Vimeo. So if you were to go on vimeo.com, that's V-I-M-E-O.com slash Saud Khalaf, which is S-A-O-U-D-K-H-A-L-A-F, then the documentary is available to watch there. And I was very, very uh, privileged to work with a fantastic young British-Palestinian activist called Leanne Mohammed, whose work is absolutely amazing. And everyone should definitely go and check out her platforms and her work too. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a very, uh, it was a tough experience putting it together. But, you know, we're, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to put together these stories and, and, and highlight them to the world. How was it uh, received, Saud? Um, many people actually were not aware of this ever being uh, a case and happening. And we actually screened it the other day at the University of Westminster because we are currently fundraising to go back to the Shatila refugee camp in um, two weeks for a, a, a big aid trip we are working on and we've raised uh, upwards of £8,000 so we played this documentary as part of a fundraiser and many many people did actually not know about such a thing occurring and I think it just reinforces the idea that we should in with every fibre of our being support the Palestinian cause because this is uh, uh, you know a story that has gone on way too long and it's something that we need to, to put our energy behind in terms of you know helping and, and, and supporting these Palestinian refugees. Thank you so, so yeah. much. Thank you Saud. We really appreciate it that you uh, took the time uh, to be on True Talk. We have been talking to Saud Khalaf who's a British of Iraqi descent. He's a filmmaker and uh, writer. Thank you so much Saud. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. I'm very, very grateful to be here. Hope you both have a lovely day and hopefully we can do this again. Inshallah. And uh, Ahmed, I think we're running out of time, but we do have uh, three interesting emails, the three different people telling us about when was the first time they heard about this. And uh, this makes some email, this makes me think of European Americans treatment of this country's natives and thanking us. Also, uh, Robert is saying maybe the GCC and their um, uh, friendship with uh, Israel might make it very difficult for the Palestinians to have some uh, more human rights. Mm. And then uh, there is another... The uh, first time they've... um I heard of the Palestinian people in the 70s from Angela Davis. And that was a whole society of a group of young people and organization. I don't. Thank you so much for all these people who are sending us very beautiful emails. Because we're out of time. This is WMNF Tampa and PR News is next. And see you at the same time, same place next week.